what we become when we believe because of the new covenant. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. You and I are containers of, in fact, God himself. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. God talking about this new covenant that we're part of. I'll take out your heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh, and put my spirit within you. So we become a container to hold God. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. Having God in us. It sounds too good to be true, but we have God's Word on it. And what a difference it makes in the believer. It changes everything, bringing great significance and purpose. Imagine the possibilities for anyone who will believe. And we'll explore some of them today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. The Apostle Paul's second and final letter to Timothy describes the Christian experience as a container a vessel that's to be filled with God. To tell us more about this exciting prospect from 2 Timothy chapter 2, picking up in verse 15, here's Pastor Ed. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philtus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they will generate strife. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Vessels for honor, clean cups or vessels. I read about two guys who went to a diner that looked like it had seen better days, and as they started to sit down, one of them scraped all the 
crumbs off the seat and then sat down and grabbed the napkin and did the table because it was full of moisture. And when the waitress came up and she said, would you like a menu? He said, mm, no thanks, just black coffee. And the other guy said, yeah, two cups, one for me, two black coffee. And could you make sure that the cup is clean? And she shot him one of those nasty looks and she walked off and came back a couple of minutes later. She said, okay, two black coffees. Now, which one of you wanted the clean cup? <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Never argue with the waitress. <laughs> Paul is writing about clean cups or vessels here to a young man, Timothy. Now, since it's been a couple of weeks since we were in this, let me remind you, when Paul wrote this second letter, this second epistle, he was a prisoner in Rome in the Mamertine prison facing the possibility of death for his faith in Jesus Christ. So this is a, a serious letter, Paul's last words to this young protege, Timothy. And Timothy, you'll remember, is a new pastor. He has this first church in the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is a beautiful spot. The city is really stunning, located next to modern Selkuk. It is a just a, an amazing site. It contained one of the seven wonders of the world, you'll remember, the temple to Diana. So this chapter that Paul's writing to this young pastor is very much not just for him. It's for the whole church at Ephesus, at this city, but very much for all of us 2,000 years later. The technology has changed, but people have not. And the same things that were bothering them in the church in those days and in the world are still working on people in our day in a church, this church and other churches and in the world. This passage, Vessels for Honor, that Paul was emphasizing to Timothy, he describes a great house having these vessels of two different kinds. And in that metaphor, in that picture, a great house, he means the body of Christ, the whole church, not different denominations, every person that calls on the name of Jesus. And many take this verse to be written for the body of Christ. But I want you to step up from that a little bit and recognize that it's really a message for every single person, all of humanity because God has a design, has a plan for every person. God so loved the world, John 3, 16. His desire is to reach the whole world. Second Peter 3, 9, Peter said, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, that everyone would come to repentance. So God has designed us, every one of us, every person on the planet to serve him. And we say God has a plan for your life, but that's very much what scripture says over and over again in many different ways. God has designed us to serve him, but Paul is saying not everyone who is serving God does so willingly. In fact, I think that's Paul's point, that there are people who are vessels of dishonor, he says, who are working for the wrong team and they don't even know it. Now, many of us in this room remember that time in our own life where we weren't serving God, we weren't furthering his kingdom. And some of us were, in fact, evangelists for the wrong kingdom. So Satan is warring against the church, against people, against you, your family, this church, and all the other churches on the planet. All you have to do is look at the persecution that's going on, particularly in the Middle East, and you can see it. But Paul is talking about that we have a, 
a purpose, and that's to be a vessel, a container for something that's a treasure. It is living water. And there's a hundred ways to say this because the scripture is filled with all these pictures, word pictures of what it means to be a believer. That you and I are containers of, in fact, God himself. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. God talking about this new covenant that we're part of. I'll take out your heart of stone, put it in a heart of flesh, and put my spirit within you. So we become a container to hold God. And it's an amazing concept, but that's what Paul is alluding to here. Now, you will be used. That's the point. The question is, who will you be useful to? Will you be a vessel for honor? or a vessel for dishonor, a vessel for noble purposes, a vessel for ignoble purposes. Paul is writing that this vessel of honor is something that we should all press on to. Now, Paul has used this picture before. In fact, Scripture speaks about vessels quite a bit. In Jeremiah 18, verse 3, God tells Jeremiah to go down to a potter's house, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. And so he made it again into another vessel that seemed good for the potter to make. God is making vessels. You are a vessel that God is working on right now, here, this moment, in the process of pushing on one side and making you round and, and taking up the little imperfections and were vessels. Uh, Romans 9.21. Does not the potter have the right to make from the same lump of clay one vessel for special occasions and another for common use? So again, in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 4.7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We have this treasure that we talked about living water, God in us, the Holy Spirit, Jesus in us, in earthen clay vessels. We are, as the NIV says, jars of clay, and thus the rock and roll Christian rock group that took that name, that you and I are mud containers. We are cracked pots, and some of us more than others. And so this is a favorite picture of Scripture. One more, First Thessalonians 4, 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Now, the usual meaning of the word vessel we're all familiar with, it commonly means a, a cup or a basin or a bowl or, or something, a container, the Webster's Dictionary, a container, a cask, a bottle, a kettle, a bowl for holding something. Second definition, a person into whom some quality as grace is infused, a child of light, a true vessel of the Lord. So in the scripture, it's used to denote an instrument or an agent, a person which God employs to share his grace, to convey his favor to other people. You are a vessel that holds the grace of God. Now, some of us withhold the grace to other people. We want grace ourselves, but we're a little reluctant to give it away. And so Paul is, is going to deal with that too. He speaks of 
gold and silver versus clay and wood. But you have to look at all the others to see that he's not talking about the inherent value of the vessel. He's talking about its usefulness. Are you a useful container to the Lord? Am I useful? And God wants us to be useful in the hands of, as he says, the master. Are you fit for, another translation says, the master's hand? Not are you so perfect, but are you so forgiven? You're listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. He's encouraging us to be a vessel that's available and useful to the Lord. Now with part two of today's lesson from 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with a brief outline, here's Pastor Ed. This breaks up into three parts, rightly dividing the word 15 through 19, then a vessel for honor 20 and 21, and then finally fleeing some things and pursuing others in 22 through 26. Now we backed up a verse, so we'll start with 15, so the rest of this chapter makes sense. Be diligent to present yourself approved of God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And when we talked about it before, we pointed out that give your efforts to, if you need to choose where you put your time. I have to choose where I put my time. You have to do the same. That's not to say that there aren't times of relaxation and vacation and, and times of hobbies, but your major effort should not be so much your job, but it should be God first, the kingdom of God then family, etc. Rightly dividing, and we said the word means handling, correctly handling the word of truth, scripture, the Bible, a single word that means to cut a straight, deep line. It's like a farmer plowing. You go through the Bible, you do it regularly, you read deeply, and consider it, think about it, what it said during the rest of the day. Great little quote from an unknown author about Scripture. This book is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Here, paradise is restored. Heaven opened and the gates of hell disclosed. Jesus Christ is its grand object. The subject of it are good, its design, and the glory of God is sin. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, guide the feet, read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, a river of pleasure. Follow its precepts, and it will lead you to Calvary, to the empty tomb, to a resurrected life in Christ. Yes, to glory itself for eternity. Woo! Big statement about the importance of God's Word in our life, the Word of truth. Then he compares, verse 16, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. They'll take you the wrong direction. Avoid these things. Reject them. Profane means, it comes from the Latin word profamus, which pro is before, famous is the threshold, before the temple, something that is outside the temple, something that is not sacred, that is not about God. Unworldly, sort of unholy sort of thoughts. There's nothing sacred about these people's words. That's where he's going with this, that 
in that church at Ephesus, there had been two, it seems like elders, maybe pastors, house churches, but who had turned away from the Lord, and they decided to create their own theology. And so he's talking about don't argue with those who are vain, who, are, who like to hear their own theories of what Scripture means instead of what it says. Speculations, you know, those questions that lead nowhere. Can God make a rock so heavy he can't lift it himself? Logical inconsistencies. I don't want to put any more of those in your head. I got a hundred of them because they seem so important at one time. Verse 17, and their message was spread like cancer. This is actually kind of funny in my weird kind of hospital humor. The word cancer there is actually the word for gangrene, gangrenous in the Greek language. Uh, that's not a very pretty picture. And it was meant to be that. Paul meant it to be repulsive to the Greeks, of course, they didn't have a, a separate differentiation between different kinds of cancers or gangrene or anything that spread, leprosy, etc. So they all fit under this word gangrene. Now, we know that that's a lack of circulation. We understand that the tissue dies. You know, some people who have uh, frostbite, toes get real cold, cuts the circulation, and the tissue dies. And so then you shorten your step a little bit. And, or for uh, you know, some diabetes late in life, do the same thing. And leprosy patients often don't take care of their wounds because they don't feel it, and it starts this gangrene process, etc. But Paul says that's the danger, get this, of false doctrine, of people preaching things, teaching things, vain ideas about Scripture that Scripture does not support. They just think it's a great idea. So Paul's going to come down pretty hard on any kind of a, a theory, a theology that spreads. So he's going to deal with the specific ones that there's this, like a disease that spreads by taking healthy tissue in and destroying it. That's what he's saying these two men are doing. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort, he says in verse 17. Their message, their false assumptions, their theories, their theology is bent. It's twisted. It's not the way Jesus taught it. Spreads like this gangrene of whom these two. Now, we ran into the first one back in 1 Timothy 1.20. The second guy, we don't know. We assume they're uh, buddies. But Philetus is another one who's teaching this false doctrine. What is the false doctrine? Next verse, verse 18. Who have strayed concerning the truth. They, they're not speaking truth. They're speaking eight, uh, against truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, already happened. And they overthrow the faith of some. The Greek word for resurrection is an interesting word. It, Paul uses the word anastasis. Some of you may know it from the mercy ship that was named that. It means, ana means up again, stasis to stand, or where we get our English word stasis, that a, that a body is upright and okay. The point is, your body will stand up again. Now, like creep some people out, but it's the center, it's the focus, it's the fulcrum, it's the hinge point of the gospel, that Jesus was the first to rise from the dead. His body stood up. We just covered that, right? And you 
and I will have that same thing happen. Now, our soul and spirit are already in heaven, but then when Jesus comes, he collects all them, right? Well, these guys are saying it already happened, and it stumbled some people in Ephesus. Now, there's a lot of debate going on about exactly how they taught it, but it continues down to this day. There are cults today in our nation and in the world that teach that the resurrection already happened. 1917, the Jehovah's Witness teacher, Russell and Rutherford taught that that that, that was the, the great resurrection. And nobody after that date gets into heaven. So anyway, that, just so you know, it continues down to this day. This concept of resurrection is a completely supernatural event, right? And that makes people struggle. Well, how's God going to do it? Listen, he put us together the first time. He'll put us together the second time. You know, this whole thing is just the hardware. The software is still intact. He knows exactly what your program is. He built it your DNA strand in your mother's womb, Psalm 139 says, and he's the creator of the universe, and it's not hard for him. There you go. Just take it and run with it. Verse 19, nevertheless, even though gangrene is affecting some people, these two gangrene brothers, if you will, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. It's not moving. It has the seal on it. This is set in concrete. The Lord knows those who are his. Now, this is a statement Moses made when somebody was trying to teach false doctrine way back in Numbers. In Numbers 16, 5, Moses speaks to Korah, and he says, uh, okay, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, and we'll let God decide. The Lord knows who are his. He still does to this day. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from sin, move from iniquity. That's kind of a, a concise, short version of Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and that he is the Lord, then you will be saved. So here is the summary. Now, depart. It's a order, imperative. It's a command that you do now and will continue to do. Have to push away from these sort of strange doctrines let everyone name. Now, God knows. I like that. I'm very comfortable in that fact that God knows me. I'm not comfortable who I am, but I'm comfortable that he knows who I am and who I was going to be, and he still graciously gave me grace. So I've thought a lot about that, I, and good old picture in biology, the guillemot is a, is a common bird in Canada and British Isles up in the north. And it's a seabird that likes to lay its eggs on cliffs, maybe a thousand feet above the water. And all these mothers are there with all these little eggs, and they fly out, get shrimp or whatever, come back, and they get back to the right egg. Now, Biologists like to torture animals in the wild to figure out how they know stuff. And so there's all these studies done on this little common seabird. That's what the egg looks like, kind of like a pear or an avocado. But those birds go out and they always come back to the right egg. So the first thing they do is they move the eggs around. <laughs> you know, the egg was on the end to the right. Now it's all the way down the cliff 100 feet. Mom goes along flies along till she sees her egg and lands right. They tag the bird, they tag the egg. They, she gets it right every time. Then they start doing things like cover up the little nose hole so they can't smell because they think, well, maybe it's smell. Mom finds it. Put hoods on the bird. <laughs> Mom still finds it. They have no idea how this bird knows her own egg, but she does. 
God knows you completely, everything about you. God knows you, everything about you, and still He loves you. Don't you find that encouraging? Today on Grow in Grace, we brought you a portion of Pastor Ed's study in First and Second Timothy. For a CD copy of today's message, call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or listen online at thepackinghouse.org. And look for us on iTunes as well. We can hook you up with many more resources to help you grow in grace when you visit thepackinghouse.org, like Pastor Ed's devotional. Speaking of resources, today we'd like to make special mention of Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, authored by renowned surgeon Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. Together they explore the human body and uncover statements that God has made about our bodies. They point out that the human body is like a window into the very structure of God's creation and a testament to God's glory. This month, we'll send this to those of you who support Grow in Grace with a donation of any amount. You might think of it as our way of saying thanks. Please remember that your gifts help us to bring Pastor Ed's teachings to the radio every day. To make a year-end contribution, go online at thepackinghouse.org or call 844-77-GRACE. And then join us next time as together we grow in grace through a study in First and Second Timothy with Pastor Ed Ray. May God richly bless you. This program is brought to you by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith love and harmony I said let this world know me by your